Violence and Vibranium War. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's the podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life watches a Marvel movie or TV show and then quizzes a second comedian. This one is a Marvel expert. This one was taught to read with Marvel comics. It's the yin and the yang of the Marvel experience. Welcome to the Black Panther episode. My name's Rob Holden. I am a comedian, a writer, and I am also the Marvel expert on this journey. And it's a journey that belongs to another man, a man close to my heart and yours. It's Mr. Will Preston. He's very ignorant. I am the heart-hugging man. I'm close to everyone's heart, giving a good old squeeze with the beat. (laughs) That sounded weird. Yeah. (laughs) The best part of this show is Will's improv at the start. (laughs) Improv, but the good kind of improv, not the annoying kind. Black Panther, this deep dive, and we are shooting up right now. We are just, I don't know what is happening to us this year. We are on fire. We are. Downloads that we've never seen before, and uh, tons and tons and tons more listeners, which is fantastic, brilliant. Welcome to uh, the MV Emmyverse, the Versaverse. Um, We're very excited and pleased to have uh, more of you joining the ranks, converting one by one as we go along. Um, and uh, we are fast approaching our, our anniversary as well. It's a perfect time to come and play with us, especially now we're getting a big MCU episode for you on the heels of our mega Daredevil episode. Oh, what a mega episode that was. Be- best best release day downloads I- I ever, best month ever in downloads. It was just, it's just been... Best uh, friends. Bonkers. Best friends Best friends ever. ever. <laughs> uh, team... <laughs> Team Giggles is killing it. Um, yep. And it's not going to stop. Coming up today, we go behind the scenes on the making of the Black Panther movie, all the way back to Wesley Snipes in the 90s. We go behind the page on the history of black superheroes and the creation of the Black Panther. We dive into Killmonger, the history of Wakanda, the power of vibranium, wars, invasions, and so much more. It's all still to come. Don't go anywhere. Psyched about this one, Will. I can't bloody wait. I mean, I re- I'll, t- I'll give my feelings at the end, as I do. Give my feelings about the place. I... Really love this film, and there's so much to talk about. So much to get into on the history side, the context side, the trivia side of Marvel, and to look at the film itself. This is the perfect time for us to have new listeners because we're just going to kill it each and every episode. Um, And it doesn't stop because we've got, I mean, the next episode (laughs) was a spicy one. Uh, We'll reveal that that later on, but we're going to go... Outside of Marvel movies, for only the second time ever, yeah. um, and we're going to use that out that non-Marvel movie to help us look at the collapse and bankruptcy of Marvel in the nineties. We'll reveal that later. Ron Perlman. <laughs> it is oh oh what a what a way what a way for us to smash through March. Um, and speaking of smashing through March, in less than like two weeks, in like a week and a bit, it'll be the twenty fifth of March, depending on when you listen to this, of course. Evergreen content. Uh, our live <laughs> show is coming to the Arena Theatre in Wolverhampton, and uh, we're getting ready for it. We're getting excited for it as we um, save up. 
the What If episodes for us to do live mm. and in person. March the 25th, the Arena Theatre in Wolverhampton. Me and Willie P um, bringing a live version of this show. They said it couldn't be done, and then we did it. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, all right, fair enough. And then they gave us an award because we were the best boys to ever do it. Um, <laughs> that was last year. We decided to do it again this year. Yeah. Uh, changing our venues, keeping it in the West Midlands because, you know, convenience. Uh, that's where. That's where all the people I know who run theatres live. Um, so that's where <laughs> we're going, uh, looking at the first episode of What If with Captain... Well, with Agent Carter, mm. um, the multiverse, the Marvel multiverse, and looking at Captain Britain, which because it might be the closest we ever get to Captain Britain. Um, yeah, yeah. And we're pumped for this one as well. We're going to be able to, as well as doing the episode, um, we're going to be able to meet everyone that comes by as well and hang out and chat. You can ask us anything you want to ask us. We had a lot of that at the at the first um, the first show we did last year, and we didn't really have the space or the time to do it because of logistical problems with the building. But this time at the Arena Theatre, they're going to be really accommodating, and we're going to be able to um, say hi to everyone and do all sorts of cool stuff with you. Uh, well, just talk, really. We're not going to do anything. Uh, Will Mike dance? So what? what's going to happen? <laughs> five pounds to see Will dance. Um, what? It's only only five pounds. The tickets um, are available from the Arena Theatre <laughs> website. The link to the show is in the show notes. Link to the ticket, sorry, in the show notes of this episode. Or you can head over to us on uh, at Marvel Versus on Twitter, and the pinned tweet will have that link. And we are... I mean, it's been it's been over a year now since we did it, and I'm I just I was looking back. I rewatched the video the other day, um, the 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 video we got up on our Patreon of the first live show. Ah, oh, all the fun we had, mm. and we're going to be doing it again. Very very excited for that. So come on down and join us the twenty fifth of March at the Arena Theatre in Wolverhampton, a wonderful arts venue. Me. Will Preston, Marvel vs. Marvel Live, looking at Agent Carter, what if, meet and greet and chat to us as well. Get yourselves down. The yin and the yang of the Marvel experience is me and Will Preston, um, representing the two sides of the geek coin hmm. that buys you nothing but uh, pop Funko vinyls. Um, <laughs> Will Preston has never read a Marvel comic book before, nope. and he let, let, it lets him experience the movies and TV shows like the rest of the world. Yeah. Something I can't, because I don't have a normal brain. Uh, <laughs> living, uh, growing up as I did, reading 1960s and 1980s Marvel comics, being taught to read with them. Um, I grew up with all these characters, and so mm. uh, they wash over me in different ways. We've already talked a little bit um, about how some some of these movies that throw people I receive in a different way. Eternals being a big one, where I went, I I, I understood everything that was happening in that movie because I've been reading the comics for a while and I knew where it was going and I had a great time. And a lot of other people were going, we were confused by the million different new characters, <laughs> and that's fair and reasonable. So that's why we have the the muggly mind of Will Preston. Yes, slice the top of his head off like the end of Hannibal and dive in. <laughs> To dig around inside that muggly brain um, and uh, leave him a drooling Ray Liotta like figure by the end of the show. Well, oh, that smells good. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get your perspective then. Before the movie was announced and came out, had you ever heard of or come across the character of the Black Panther? I only came across him in Civil War, but I did. I swear, that's I what I meant. But the MCU, yeah. yeah. 
I swear I subconsciously heard about the character before, whether conversations with other geeks or just randomly searching on a Wikipedia hole. I, I, the, the character Black Panther is in my subconscious somewhere, hmm. but I've never encountered what he looks like or how he is. I mean, as soon as I saw uh, Captain America uh, Civil War and I saw a guy look, looking a bit like a cat with claws, I went... That could be Black Panther. <laughs> what was your What was your takeaway from that from that Civil War um, movie, the Black Panther in that? Then I I liked uh, Chadwick Boseman's appearance in that. I thought there was a sort of not regal, but this kind this this really good air of, mm. of confidence about him. There really but, was, on, yeah, but, and honor as well. And what I loved was when they're just about to. <laughs> they're, they're blowing down. They're blowing down at the airport tarmac in Berlin. And that he refers to, I can't remember if it's Captain America, refers to T'Challa as your highness. I thought that was a nice little touch because it's like, oh yeah, he is royalty. <laughs> yeah, Bozeman, Bozeman in that movie and in this, but, but, but you know, the first time we see him, he really mm. does project kind of like um, statesmanship and, you know, in a, way oh, that God, we, yeah. in a way that no other superhero does, really. It's um, it's refreshing to see. So it's, it's it's like another kind of archetype we're seeing here in the kind of superhero. You have like the the arrogant. You have the arrogant one, the one who's all full of honor and American stuff, and then the dark one who's a bit twisted. And then you have this ah, this uh, he is a prince. Yes, mm. it's kind of nobility and poise. Yep. It's, yeah, um, it was very interesting. So coming out of that, is is was it a character you wanted to see more of? Yeah, I well. <laughs> As we all know, there's not much black representation in the MCU, uh, mm. f- uh, let alone superhero movies in general. And it, it just he just seemed like such a refreshing character. I wanted to know more about Wakanda. I wanted to see him getting more adventures. It just he just he just brought something new to the table. You're so right. He 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 comes. It's not like seeing like um, I don't know what kind of character you could have, but if there was a, a just another like character, the crime fighting, whatever, you'd you'd probably go, ah, oh, we, we we've got a few of them. We've got a Spider Man, and we've got an yeah. Iron Man, and we've got a this that. We've got science characters, we've got magic characters. Black Panther comes with this very new kind of dynamic. Like he is a world leader, he is a yes. he is a head of a nation. We've got the intrigue and the interest of that country, and mm. that and we've got a politics side of it. And yeah, there's it's that and superhero, which has never been kind of seen or exploited before. He's not had a com- a cartoon series of his own before, no. like a lot of these characters, you know, seem to have had in the past. It's um, well, I've it's been pearls of being in- intriguing, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I, I've been uh, after we 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 did uh, our episodes on Earth Mightiest Heroes. I'm nearly finished watching the entire lot. It's a fantastic show. And Black Panther pops up in it, as as we know. Yeah, he pops very up prominently. Got, very yeah, prominently. They, they, that was good. They follow the the Marvel Avengers kind of classic lineups quite oh. well, um, and he's um, he's great in that as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, also, also, I think Lance Reddick plays Falcon. Lance, that's right. Bloody, yeah, we get the Falcon in there. Lance bloody Reddick, amazing. Uh, but I won't delve too much into that because it's not part of the show. Toys are me. Yeah. Um, so, how did you did the trailer? Have you, have you had any memories of seeing the trailer or the film being announced, and and how that that how that impacted you? I remember seeing the trailer vaguely. I think that's one of the few trailers, Marvel trailers. Because usually, I'm all over the trailers, and I remember seeing it, but I don't remember it so well. But I remember thinking, "This is going to be big. This is going to be unlike anything we've seen." 
I know a few people out there say, oh, yeah, there were cookie cookie cutter elements, copy and pasting of other things. But it's like, it really doesn't feel like a Marvel film at times. It really does feel so much like its own thing. Listen, there's a lot of, of da- <laughs> distaste and Marvel downturn at the moment. And that's that's a very new, that's that's a relatively new thing for the, yeah. the upswell of it. Nobody was saying that in 2018. Nobody. No. Nobody of any worth was saying anything negative in 2018 but it's interesting i i tell you i i'll, I'll say that i i remember being the trailer didn't leave much of him i mean I, I love the character yeah um i'll say now when i was uh, a kid I, I i don't i can't think how young i would have been i think my mom offered at some point she needed like a, a sewing project and i don't know how it came about but she offered to make me i think a a superhero costume and oh, yeah. she said to pick one, and the one I picked was the Black Panther. Um, now it ended up being okay. the easiest, the easiest thing she ever had to do because it was just sort of like back in the day, the Black Panther costume. It wasn't, it, it didn't have, have much detail to it. It so was just it was, black, wasn't it? It was just yeah. I think I wore a black leotard, black, <laughs> black tights or something, a black, yeah. you know. And and then uh, she made a, 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 a like a, a full. Head mask with some little tufty ears, <laughs> oh, like a little um, but, bear. But when the trailer came out, I don't remember being particularly excited or blown away by the trailer. Um, mm. So I, uh, so that's that was uh, an odd one for me. So I'm, I'm not surprised that it didn't. You know, you didn't have great memories of the trailer. I, I barely remember it, but I remember looking forward to it because, like, for some reason, I didn't bother going to see Ant Man and the Wasp in the cinema, and I'm mm. there going, "Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I?" You know. Obviously, it's not one of the stronger Marvel films, but it's a bit of fun. And, you know, it's just, I'm full, as you know, I'm fully committed, going to be watching every single film that comes out. Even if I don't know what the hell it is about, I will, I will do it. <laughs> How did you feel, like, uh, when you saw the movie? You, sure you saw Black Panther for the first time in the cinema? What, you mean and in, you, in Civil War? Oh, no, sorry, when the, you the, saw the, Black the, Panther, the movie. The movie. Yeah, sorry. Oh, well, it was the first Marvel movie I went to see with my wife when we just started dating. Oh, right. We... Both loved it. We hmm. we were just it is the this is the thing. It was like I think phase three was the strongest phase. It was like it felt like hit after hit after hit after hit. And remember, it was like that. It was like that all that reliable feeling of endorphins going to see Black Panther. You went great. This is ju- this is another good film in this good series. And I came away going that was easily one of the better ones. That was great. I There's something else it. in there when when you you feel you're excited for the release of something and you mm. go see it and it delivers. It's an it's a great and Marvel have been doing that. I mean, that's the next thing I was going to ask you is how did you feel about the MCU in 2018? Like 2017, pretty good year. Uh, Guardians uh, Volume Two, Home Spider-Man: Homecoming, um, and 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 Ragnarok. Depending on how you feel about that, were you? Very much in the uh, Marvel groove in 2018. I, I I pretty much was. I mean, after this, of course, you had Infinity War and uh, then Captain Marvel and Endgame, and uh, I knew we were coming to something big. Even mm. though I was looking, you know, having a good time with Black Panther, I knew the next film was going to be Infinity War, and it, for years it's been hinted that it's going to be a massive, massive film. But that didn't overshadow Black Panther at all. Black Panther that- stood stood so good in its own right. It was not a stepping stone to Infinity War. Black Panther was its own massive thing. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, mm. that that 
it, it, as because we it's almost this this plays virtually i mean it, it does but it doesn't feel like it plays any um it doesn't it's not a, a step on the road to the end of these movies the end of this infinity saga it plays a massive part but mm. we doesn't feel like it and so it could it, you could feel like it was a a movie to be overlooked by the impending big avengers crossover movies but that didn't that isn't it really isn't the case it, um, it really isn't and it's it's it worked so well in that respect i'm going to ask you to change hats now then will um, change hats and uh, <laughs> And bring out the man that um, takes us diving into the, uh, the the trash cans of Hollywood Boulevard to bring us all the behind-the-scenes dirt and info on the making of the movies. Um, Mr. Hollywood, what have you got for us? Mr. Hollywood! I've hinted that he should stop doing that, but he's here we are, cracking on with it. There we yeah. go, folks. I, I No, no, I'm going to get bigger with it. I'm going to get really yeah. big with oh, it. Oh, Great, cool. Great, cool. <laughs> I'm just slowly sabotaging the podcast so I can finally read these bloody comics. Uh, okay. First of all, I'm going to take you back to 2017. We're going to make sense of the dollars and cents, but I think we need a bit of a run-up before we get to 2018's Black Panther. It's a good idea. Good idea. We need context. We need run-up. We need a lovely cup of tea. Right. First of all, 2017. We had... Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. Budget, $200 million. Box office, $863.8 million. Wow. That's a step up from the first one, wasn't it? Absolute step up. Doesn't stop there. We have Next, we have Spider-Man Homecoming. Budget, slightly less, $175 million. Box office, slightly more, $880.2 million. What a savings. What a savings. But th- that, that makes a lot of sense, though, because mm. Spider-Man is a huge character. He, it, that's, that's a debut, as it were, in the MCU. Mm. But Spider-Man is a massive character. Making the 800 kind of mark makes sense for a character. If you know, it's, it's, Guardians didn't do that on its, on its debut. They were all no. sort of unknown characters. No. And then next up, of course, uh, we have Fort Ragnarok. Uh, budget 180 million dollars box office very similar figures here people 854 million dollars and Great of course that stuff. makes sense uh, uh, one of the one of the three big characters from the from the, the start of the MCU whose um, profile kind of exploded with the Avengers movies and uh, even after two rope well maybe one ropey movie um a, a real big return for Thor there oh absolutely i mean i know it's not your particular favorite one but it's you, you can't help but admit it's, it, it it's it was very popular. We looked into it, Hulk, yeah. uh, putting Hulk in that movie as well, and all over the trailers and the advertising is yeah. a big a big boost. You're getting kind of a mini Avengers movie. Exactly. Uh, if you want to hear more details, obviously, please go back and listen to our episodes after you've listened to this one, young man. <laughs> Eat your greens before dessert is what we'll say. That's what I'm saying. But before I get onto Black Panther, just a quick uh, side note. Uh, we had a, had a quick look for 2018 superhero movies, and uh, DC uh, released Aquaman in 2018 with uh, all the housewives' favourite, Jason Momoa. Something for the mums. Uh, <laughs> so I, call, I, I call him something for the mums. <laughs> something for the mumzoa. Oh, you dog! Oh, God, that's... No? That, yeah? No? Yeah, why not? Why not? It sounds like a snack. He, to be fair, Jason Momoa, he is a bit of a snack. Uh, <laughs> budget for DC's Aquaman in 2018, 
160 to 200 million box office. And I can't believe this, Rob. 1.149 billion. How did that happen? I didn't see it. For Aquaman. For Aquaman. The guy that talks to fish. (laughs) As I said, I, 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 I. would not have expected to that at all. Um, yeah, I would expect around like 500, 600, but hey, uh, something for the mums. Mums got money, you know. <laughs> it suggests people went back to see it multiple times, I think, or or maybe it was, um, maybe it's China. It's very hard to tell these days with, they, with these secondary markets, the tertiary markets. Yeah. I'm not going to get into uh, talking about DC films. We're talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe here. But that, that's that's a debut movie. Debut for, movie. For, but it, it is a character that's had yep. some exposure. I mean, very small. You've got to go back to the Super Friends, really. Some exposure. He does walk around this top off a lot. I know what you're saying. <laughs> uh, anyway, we, we come to our main boy, our main guy, our fella. Black Panther 2018. Budget $200 million. Box office. Here we go. One point three eight two billion dollars. An insane amount of money. Insane. Actually, how for much a, did Iron Man three make? I need to. A, I, sh- I should. For a character, for a character that is not in the Avengers, for a character that is barely, you know, it turned up in a Captain America movie. Yeah. That's not been there since the, since phase one. That didn't have this like like Hulk and Spider Man. This backstory of TV shows in the seventies, on the eighties, or cartoons in the eighties and nineties. Like just dropping this guy mm. suddenly, this character appears, and everything about this movie connected with a massive audience. Massive, massive audience. I have to say. Uh, when, when I was on the stand-up circuit back then, I remember so many black friends, and everyone I knew of, you know, who's black, was so excited, unbelievably excited. It was so, so positive to see. You remember they remember when they 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 announced Jody was it Jodie Whittaker as Doctor Who? Yeah, yeah. And there was this video that went went online where they made the announcement, and this little girl saw it, and she absolutely <clears throat> lost her mind. It's because finally, you know, there's someone who's like me. Representation. Representation. Yeah. And it's just... There are some very touching photos of, um, of black this. kids staring up at the giant cardboard cutout of the uh, all the amazing black heroes in Black Panther. And yeah. It really means something to people. Now, what have you got for us in the um, in the behind-the-scenes section then, Will? What, can you, what dirt can you dig up about this Black Panther movie? This is the biggest pile of dirt I've ever dug up. And boy, the nuggets on it can kill you. <laughs> you could kill a man with these nuggets, Rob. Anyway, we'll start in the early 90s. In June 1992, Wesley Snipes announced his intention to make a film about Black Panther, and began work on it by that August. Speaking to the Hollywood Reporter in 2018, Snipes said, I think Black Panther spoke to me because he was noble, and he was the antithesis of the stereotypes presented and portrayed about Africans, African history, and the great kingdoms of Africa. It had cultural significance, social significance. It was something that the black community and the white community hadn't seen before. Many people don't know that there were fantastic, glorious periods of African empires and African royalty. Mansa Musa, Emperor of the West African Mali Empire, and some of the wealthiest men in the world compared to the wealth of today. That was always very, very attractive, and I loved the idea of the advanced technology. I thought that was very forward-thinking. Black Panther 
is an iconic character who much of the world was unfamiliar with and the communities that I grew up in would love. Look, from the days of William Marshall playing Blackula in the 1970s black flicks and the favor you found inside the black and Hispanic communities, it never crossed my mind that the audience wouldn't be down with it. We love Wesley Snipes. Oh, um, he's a he's a good good and boy. He is a confirmed like comic book dude. He really does um, read and get into those characters. Um, it would have been it would have been interesting with uh, Wesley Snipes, but as we'll discover later on, it would not have been as cool as the depiction we get of Black Panther in this movie because that depiction of Black Panther hadn't happened yet in 1992. Ah, um, okay. I'm looking forward to this. Next up, what happened next? So, former Marvel editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco recalls taking a trip with Marvel Brass to Los Angeles in the 90s for a flurry of meetings, during which they had a dinner with Columbia execs and screenwriter Terry Hayes. The screenwriter gave this incredible pitch from the beginning to end for Black Panther, which began with a battle in Wakanda and baby T'Challa being put on a river in a basket to be saved. Years later, T'Challa is a grown man living somewhere else, going about his life. Suddenly, he's attacked in an elevator in an elaborately choreographed fight scene, and the story goes from there. So it sounds like they're doing that typical someone yeah. born to greatness, going, going to humble backgrounds. <laughs> yeah. We've and seen, it, we've seen it in Star Wars and Harry Potter. It is, in general, yeah. if you think about the, um, the arc of story, the journey of the hero, yes. they generally have yes. to start off somewhere in their regular everyday life, mm-hmm. and then throughout the acts, they have to suddenly enter a, a brand new incredible world which opens their eyes. And, their, and that's hard to do when the, you're, you're doing a character that starts in a brand new incredible world that the audience hasn't seen. <laughs> you can't quite do the stereotypical hero's journey that way. So yeah. it's a lot easier to to do the you know the harry potter luke skywalker you know trope it's 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 a comfortable trope rob it's a very comfortable it it works for a reason it works for a reason defalco said i just remember as the writer was describing the scene i could see it in my mind i thought if this is our black panther movie sign me up he really had a terrific handle on the character on the action on the stakes and everything else so all sounding really positive the next july snipes planned to begin the black panther after starring in demolition man best movie ever (laughs) it's one of those films that has it's it's way better than it has any right to be very entertaining uh, although i do consider it to be a soft adaptation of adas huxley's brave new world but that's uh, another well no it isn't Oh, there are so many elements in that film where it feels it's like just, Brave New World. It's just cryogenic freezing and the things are weird in the future. Come on, man. Yeah, but the way they... The way, <laughs> no, I'm not... No, I have my argument points, but I will not be making them. But I genuinely think there is so much borrowed from that book, for that film. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Demolition, man. The which Pamela all- Anderson sci-fi apocalypse movie, Barb Wire is a remake of Casablanca. Casab- I've read I've read that somewhere. <laughs> oh god. Just yeah. you know, they have a fight on a crane at the end. Which would have which would have made Casablanca a lot better. If Humphrey Bogart had a, a massive set of jugs <laughs> fought, fought a bad guy in a big crane at the end, that Casablanca would finally be a classic film. 
I have to say, I watched that. Was it uh, Pam, Pam and Tommy on Disney Plus series? Mm. And one episode, she's she's uh, doing the PR and stuff for the upcoming barbed wire film, and it's like watching a car crash before it happens because you know yeah. how bad that film did. And I'm like, no, I'm on her side in this. I feel really bad for her, and she doesn't know it's happening yet. Anyway, let's get our heads back in the game. So anyway. A month later, Snipes expressed interest in making sequels to the film uh, as well, uh, Black Panther. In January 1994, Snipes enters, uh, entered talks with Columbia Pictures to portray Black Panther, and Black Panther co-creator Stan Lee joined the film by March. It entered early development by May. Snipes had discussion with several different screenwriters and directors about the project, including Mario Van Peebles and John Singleton. When the film had not progressed by January 1996, Lee explained that he had not been pleased with the scripts for the project. Snipes said that one of the issues with the project's development was confusion among those unfamiliar with the comics who thought the film was about the Black Panther Party. They think you want to come out with the black beret and clothing and there's a movie, Snipes recalls. I yeah, can I see understand. that. I yeah, can totally yeah. see that. Yes, yeah. as we all learn later on, it it, uh, it trips up the comic books as well. It in the nineteen seventies. I was about to say, who, who came? Well, actually, no. You could probably tell me who came first, the Black Panther Good. Party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. That's right, I am. <laughs> I, I, he, uh, Rob's got me. He, he. he I, I have a question. I don't need to ask it. He's already no. got the answer. <laughs> He's uh, he's like he's like Alexa. Uh, <laughs> looking back on the project stalling and failing, Snipes said, ultimately. We couldn't find the right combination of script and director. And also at the time, we were so far ahead of the game in the thinking, the technology wasn't there to do what they had already created in the comic book. It would be incredibly different, uh, difficult to recreate the, the, you know, an entire highly advanced sci-fi alien kind of alien world. Mm. When you think about how they, when you think about Star Wars, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a magic trick. Yep. It's an illusion. Mm. the The worlds you see are a, a place full of ice, a place full of <laughs> sand, and a, a, and a, a Death Star that's just corridors and meeting rooms. Yeah, <laughs> like it's it's just an illusion, as all as all great you know kind of movie making should be. But to to take what what is in the on the page for the the world of Wakanda and to try and create something that feels like it is a highly advanced you know world without that you know without the and that being said they managed it with with the Judge Dredd movie Judge Dredd yeah the they really Judge managed Dredd. it with the yeah. Judge Dredd movie so maybe the tech was there if you had the budget. Uh, it makes me. I read this uh, the other day because I, I I read the book, The Planet of the Apes, and it's actually quite different to the nineteen sixty eight film because it's they actually have a full city with cars with apes and stuff. But it would have been so hard to actually uh, create that in, in film at the time. So yeah, that was technology holding it behind. They could not. It do also that. it also would yeah. not. That that's not. That's just simply not as good. Not. I totally agree. <clears throat> Especially totally- for the reveal at the end. Oh. Creating a world that feels like our world, but with monkeys wearing suits and driving it's, cars, is one. It's kind of funny and laughable. Mm. It's not. It's not like, oh God, where am I? Yeah. And the reveal wouldn't wouldn't be this. Wouldn't be as you know heartbreaking and horrifying. Exactly. What what an ending to a film. But anyway, watch Planet of the Apes when you can. In July nineteen ninety seven. Sorry, just making sure where I am. I am good. 
into so much so much stuff to get through, Rob. So much stuff to get through. I trip over myself. The the good lord invented cursors and highlighting text for a reason. You yeah, can but just move your cursor, highlight where you are, and that saves your place. Look, there you yeah, go. But if you do that, sometimes I could nudge something and move the text somewhere where I don't want it to. There's loads of advanced stuff that I don't like. In July 1997, Black Panther was listed as part of Marvel Comics Film Slate, and in March 1998, Marvel reported reportedly hired Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti, who at the time were editors of the Black Panther comics, to work on it. Quesada and Palmiotti have both denied this. <laughs> Why is it here then? I don't know. I like. I. <laughs> oh, I, okay. I like putting in stuff that's like all oh, reportedly this that aren't true. And then they said, "No, oh, didn't happen." I like rumors that aren't true. It just shows you how much buzz was going around that people so, started lying. At the time, um, Joe Quesada mm. and Jimmy Palmiotti were head of um, the Marvel Knights project, yeah. which was searching out bold new writers and artists that perhaps hadn't really worked in Marvel before and introduced them to some great characters. That is the project that gives us the the Black Panther series that heavily influenced the movie. Good. Um, and Joe Quesada would go on within five years to be the editor-in-chief of all of Marvel Comics. Um, so... Uh, could have been an interesting um, an interesting project if he got involved in Black Panther movie in 98. Oh, God. It just... Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to think about it because we got a lovely Black Panther movie right here. In May 2000, Marvel Studios negotiated a deal with Artisan Entertainment. Ah, oh, the Artisan deal. Yeah, the artist... come up before for us in Man-Thing and Punisher. God. And a bunch of other movies. Uh, yeah. A bunch of other uh, movies we looked at. Yep. Therefore, a co-production joint venture that included rights to 15 Marvel characters, including Captain America, Thor, the Black Panther, Iron Fist, and Deadpool. Artisan would finance and distribute, while Marvel would develop licensing and merchandising tie-ins. The resulting production library, which should also include TV series, direct-to-video films, and internet projects, would be co-owned. Reportedly on the, reporting on the story, Variety magazine described the proposed Black Panther film as a black Indiana Jones-style character to which Wesley Snipes has been long attached to the producing star. Black Indiana Jones-style character. What are they on about? I guess they're removing the very, very expensive elements that are like Wakanda, and they're, yeah. they're kind of going with a jungle idea. Like, yeah. Um, I can kind of see it playing. Playing uh, Black Panther's got a lot of similarities to the old um, com- comic strip character, the Phantom. Ah, yes, the guy in the <clears> purple so, suit. Kind of, yeah, yeah, who uh, is a, another white man living in a jungle, um, <laughs> surrounded by. Basically, in the old days, you'd uh, if you wanted to do a story set in Africa, you had to first invent a white man <laughs> who would come in and do all the cool stuff, uh, like oh, Tarzan God, or the yeah. Phantom. Yeah. So yeah, I can I can kind of maybe see where they were going with that. Yeah, I can see that too. Now you said that. In September 2005, Marvel chairman and CEO Avi Arid announced Black Panther. He's in the- every episode we do. Good old Avi. Do you know He's what? Got his it's, fingers and everything. He? It's it's like it's like when you're trying to connect things and you've managed to sort out all this data. You just put the search term Avi Averid and it's like, oh god, he's the he's at the hub of all this. So he's, he announced- he's the Kevin Bacon of Marvel. Oh god, no. Have we said this before? No. No, we played Kevin Bacon on our Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special with Kevin Bacon. Which you guys must listen to. It's a wonderful, rip-roaring time. We did have a lovely game playing that. So Avi Avid routes Black Panther as one of the ten films being developed by the new Marvel Studios. 
Very exciting times. In 2007, Fantastic Four director Tim Story expressed his interest in casting... Uh, <clears throat> I, I should have looked up this name. I think it's Jimon Hunsu. As, I think that's it, yeah. Yeah, I did, I did all right uh, for a white guy. As Black Panther, if he were to direct another Fantastic Four film after Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. But a third Fantastic Four film helmed by Story went unproduced. Talking to the LA Times, Story said, I've got to tell you, to get the Fantastic Four and turn it to a franchise, the first thing I thought was, will I get the Silver Surfer or someone like the superhero Black Panther who was introduced in their book? Get Jimon uh, Hunsu and go do it. But there are so many other great villains and stories, I feel like I hit the jackpot. So we could have gotten back then, but I don't know. We could have got a Black Panther. Uh, could have been Fantastic Four uh, 3. The Rise of the Black Panther or something. Fantastic Four. What, what an awkward title that is. I'm glad they didn't put did that. Fantastic Four 3. What's so Fantastic 43? Well, they didn't do it in Fantastic Four 2, did they? They didn't, no, did, they they didn't, didn't. They didn't do Fantastic Four 2. Fantastic 42. Fantastic. I'm confused. <laughs> in March 2009, Marvel hired writers to help come up with creative ways to launch its lesser-known properties, including Black Panther. Nate Moore, the head of the writers' program, was overseeing the development of Black Panther specifically. Stipe's involvement stalled at this time as he was convicted to failing to file a tax return, serving his sentence from June 2010 to April 2013. I don't know if people know this, but like Wesley Stipe's yeah. one of the biggest action stars in the world, and then he went to mm. prison for like three years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Pay them taxes, kids. Yeah, file pay- them uh, self-assessments. Yep, do that. I need to might do that at some point. Oh, God, I hate money. Uh, <laughs> in Captain America, the first Avenger, Vibranium was introduced into the MCU, which comes from Black Panther's home nation, Wakanda. Marvel had considered showing Wakanda itself as early as Iron Man 2 in 2010, but were waiting until they had a full idea of how to depict it. Black Panther screenwriter Joe Robert Cole knew that Black Panther would be a big deal, saying, Black Panther is a historic opportunity to be a part of something important and special, particularly at a time when African Americans are affirming their identities while dealing with vilification and dehumanization. The image of a black hero on this scale is just really exciting. When I was a kid, I would change superheroes' names. Instead of James Bond, I was James Black. Instead of Batman, I was Black Man. And I have a three-year-old son. My son will be five when Black Panther comes out. That puts it all into perspective for me. That's an incredible quote, isn't it, really? <laughs> That's, that makes you think, doesn't it? It's just changing changing the present so the future can be better than your past. And Wonderful. I do also remember Wonderful. When, when the Luke Cage series came out in the middle of another spate of... Um, black people being shot by police. Mm. Um, I remember it being very zeitgeisty and lots of like getting lots of press attention and lots of ink because the idea of inventing a black superhero that was bulletproof mm. and and putting it out in that time yeah. seemed so so um, zeitgeisty and finger on the pulse and kind of prescient, despite the fact it had been prescient since the character was invented. I was just um, about to say it's been zeitgeisty for a fair few and, decades now. Unfortunately. And, uh, yeah, and it yeah. feels it feels like almost whenever the Black Panther movie would come out, it would have that big feeling to it, and it would feel like it is ripe for the moment. Oh God, it's the the energy for that film for this film, man. Oh God, I, I think just, yeah, I the, 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 the we like as a na- as like a world, we were just 
thirsty for this movie, which is why it smashed that billion mark, didn't it? And became a huge, huge blockbuster. Because thirsty, des- thirsty boy. People just wanted this film. They just wanted something like this. Absolutely, absolutely. Director Ryan Coogler was inspired by the southern African country Lesotho as inspiration for Wakanda, which was able to resist both the Zulus and the Boas and was only lightly colonised by the British. Just a bit of light colonisation. That's what we're up to today, lads. <laughs> uh, what, what's wrong, Dad? I may have committed some light colonisation. Some light colonisation. Some light, light treason. <laughs> I love that line so much in Arrested Development. Production designer Hannah Beechler wanted to honour the comic designs but fill in the gaps with research concentrated on sub-Saharan Africa, pulling inspiration from uh, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, Congo, Kinshasa, Ethiopia, as well as the designs of Zaha Hadid. Beechler said, we took a lot of architecture a lot architecturally from a lot of different regions in Africa we were at Blythe Canyon in South Africa where the mountains looked like rendezvous and Ryan was like we should put rendezvous tops on our skyscrapers we should add more of that into the technology I started digging into things that were part of a lot of different tribes traditions then figuring out a way to really make them technologically advanced as if it would be very natural because we're also looking at Wakanda as never having been colonised. That's a massive thing from the comics that Wakanda has mm. never ever been invaded or colonised. That's um, such a... It, it's an interesting thing, though, because you get this vastly different appearance to an African nation without any Western influence, or sorry, mm. European influence, if you will. Uh, yeah, but, but and I'm, I'm sure there are some... When she says she wants to honour the uh, comic designs, mm. I'm sure there's some they wanted to try and honour, but it was never the original wild Jack Kirby drawings. That is, um, they look they look like. Do you remember when we looked at um, Galactus's ship in when we looked in our Fantastic Four uh, oh. Surfer, and it's this dazzling display of of like tubing and and and. Like um, zapping electricity and multicolored metals, and that's what all of Wakanda looks like in the original um, <laughs> in the original comic designs. It's like you no, know, no one could live there. <laughs> it's like the in, it's like the inside of a of a giant computer. It'd be very peculiar. Oh, fantastic! Costume designer Ruthie Carter referenced the Maasai, Himba, Dogon, Basotho, Turig, Turkana, Hisosa, Hiso. I can't. I can't. I'm not very good with X's in Af- in African names. I, I imagine it's a Z, but I'm not 100 percent on that. Might Z- be, that might Z- be Greek. It could be Zosa. I'm going to say Zosa yeah. if I'm wrong. Apologies. Zulu, Suri, and Dinka people in her designs. The Dora Milaje costumes primarily use red to reflect different African cultures and included beaded tabards that feature that feature talismans that would be passed down from mother to daughter. Carter wanted to avoid the girls in bathing suits look and instead have the Dora Milaje wear full armor that w- that they would practically need for battle. She also had to take actors' stunts work into consideration. Talking they're about a, a, a really, a, they're a really unique part of this movie, the Dora Milaje. They really are. They, they're an absolute highlight for me. Mm, yeah, I, the I movements, lo- the way they look, their appearance, the presentation of them. They, they, there's a grace to them. They're, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to simp over the Dora Milaje. We'll, we'll, we'll simp over them later when we talk about them in the film. But I bloody love them and love it when they pop up in any other film. 
Talking about the Dora Milaje, Carter said, I feel like I was influenced more by the Dora Milaje because we were working backwards. The Dora Milaje were designed and developed first, and since we had to go back in time to the 1980s and come up with an early version of the Dora Milaje, we tried to do something that felt a bit little more retro. Grace Jones is still very iconic in the 1980s. I don't think there was any other black woman who shaved her head that was more iconic than Grace and more powerful looking than her. For the line, it worked. But I didn't need to use more than the Dora Milaje and all their influence, beauty, strength and femininity. We wanted to honour the woman. We wanted to show how three-dimensional she is. For example, Nakia is a war dog. She's a spy. She's a princess. She's a warrior. She's a Bond girl. Most women have all of these roles wrapped up in one. It was important for us to show that strength and femininity, but not exploit it. The Dora Milaje honours the female form by having the harness wrap that wraps around their female body in a very sensuous way. It doesn't exploit it by showing too much skin. It is actually a really functional uniform that is also believable. It has a lot of honour and tradition, so you could actually tell a story with it. I felt really good about creating a costume for women that even young girls could feel comfortable wearing when the costumes came out after the movie was released. Not every young lady wants to be in a bathing suit top and a cheerleading skirt when they want to play their favourite superhero. Everyone can feel comfortable in a Dora costume, and I feel empowered by it. It was important for us to take this costume seriously, but also give it give it a history, as well as honour the female form. It's not a feminist costume or masculine. It's very sensual, but it's also very realistic and beautiful at the same time. I did just want to point out that the... <laughs> Hello. The, the, the Dora Milaje in the comics do not wear cheerleading skirts and bathing suit tops. They wear battle armor and they're badass the whole time. And as so I, 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 yeah, you, you said you think she's uh, talking about other superhero movies. I, I, I remember we talk, well, we talked about this behind the scenes when I was talking about this note, and I I just think she's talking about the other you know other women in superhero films, but they do wear more. Like revealing. Which, well, like which one? I don't know Supergirl. There hadn't been a Supergirl. I mean, may, maybe, but there hadn't been a Supergirl movie since, like, the early 70s. So I don't know. I uh, just want to, in case in case people hear that and think the interpretation is, oh, my God, their presentation in the comic books must be really um, must be really sexist. Uh, I, uh, no, the Dora Milaje is just a badass well, in the comics. As, as you're about to find out later in my notes, she won an Oscar for that. So shut up. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no, no, no. I didn't say that Ruthie, whatever her name is, shouldn't have won an Oscar for it. I said it could be construed from the way you've written it and the way she's spoken that she's criticising the comic book art design of these characters, which I don't think should be criticised. Okay, agreed. A unique culture was created for each of the Wakandan tribes to get a sense of the country being a mix of different tribes. You had the Golden Tribe, the royal family, uses a motif of black and continental symbol for the sun found throughout Africa. They also have panther-themed designs. The Border Tribe was inspired by Lesotho architecture and language. The tribe's symbol is Lesotho word for horsemen. Their motif is blue, a national Lesotho colour, and wood. They use rhino-themed weapons, attack rhino shields and horn-shaped blades. They frequently wear Basotho blankets. The Basotho are the majority in Lesotho. The River Tribe was inspired by the Surma and Mercy of Ethiopia, Nilotic peoples who hail from the River Nile. Their motif is green and shells. They wear crocodile skins and leather. 
I noticed them immediately, like the kind of crocodile suit he was yeah. in suit there. Oh, there's so much to love about the costumes in this film. I knew yeah, I had to get 100%. deep into 100%. 100%. The mining tribe was inspired by the Himba and Maasai of Southern Africa. The motif is red and orange. They wear lion-themed designs. The merchant tribe was inspired by the Toreg of the Sahara. Their motif is purple. And last but not least, the Jabari tribe was inspired by the Bari Ig... Ig, eh, sorry, Bari, Igbo, and the Dogon of Western Africans, shamanistic, naturalistic tribes. They wear fur and wood to honour their sacred animal, the gorilla. It really, really stands out that um, in in the in, especially in the the big ceremony scenes that there's all these. Um, vastly different kind of shades to all these characters even if they're background characters you get the sense of these different communities you get the sense of these different like um that there there is you, you get a heightened sense of politics yeah. when you realize oh well, that's like a different house that's a different house that's a different house and really it's 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 very it's um it's quite it's it's quite different from how uh, Wakandans are portrayed in the comic books up until the point of 2018 mm. so it's a really um considered thoughtful and um really cool kind of addition or update that the movie brings to to Wakanda it's really awesome it's it's a lot of world building that isn't explored yeah. but is there as a fantastic backdrop and i love it Googler brought in consultants who are experts on african history and politics to work on defining wakanda Googler said there are many African countries, each with different histories, mythologies, and cultures. There are several tribes who live amongst each other, and together they make the identity of their country. We owned in some of the historical cultural influences from African countries and then made estimations. During an interview with uh, with uh, Michael Martin on the radio program, All Things Considered, Danai... G- I'm very bad at pronouncing her name. G- Okoyazak actor. Okay, just give Denai, it a Denai, Denai, Denai Gurira said that the language spoken by Wakandans is a real language, Zoso, a South African language characterised by clicks and glottal stops. It's the same language that is native to Nelson Mandela. It's from the Cape region of South Africa. And Mr. John Carney, who plays T'Challa's father, T'Chaka, he's Zoso. And so he, they started and agreed to that language before being the language of Wakanda in Captain America Civil War in 2016. There will be... Several names that uh, myself and Will might not be able to pronounce first time, um, but it doesn't, you know. And and there might be people out there that, that especially when you're when you're uh, broadcasting it, you might see, feel yourself getting a little bit nervous that you might. But messing up somebody's name, a name you haven't read before or said aloud before, it's not an insult, and, and nobody really takes it as too much of an insult. Um, so I wouldn't, you know, we'd have to worry about it, buddy. You, 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 no one's, uh, no one's going to hear this and go, oh, he sounds ignorant to me. <laughs> well, we it's are not just, ignorant, but it's fine. Well, it's not just that. I really loved Anaya Guerrero in this as a Koya. I thought she was fantastic, yeah, and yet 100%. I can't pr- pronounce her name, so I can't simp her properly. Well, if, <laughs> if, if, if me and you had grown up with uh, dozens and dozens of Danai Guerreras uh, in our schools and workplaces, and it would be as common to us um, as uh, as you know Tom and Jeff and Rob, but you know, it's just how it is, just how life is. A lot of Darrens, a lot of Darrens. In response to being bloody asked... Bloody Darrens. Bloody Darrens. In response to being asked what it felt like being on one of the only few non-black actors on set, and sometimes the only non-black actor on set, Martin Freeman said, you think, right, this is what black actors feel like all the time. Yeah. Fre- yep. Freeman, this is, I love this, Freeman and Andy Serkis were known as, wait for it, 
the Tolkien white guys on set since they also starred together in the Hobbit films. Boo. Oh, that's just... Shut up. That is brilliant. Is it? <laughs> that's so playful and lovely. Anyway. That's... Uh, that's like a WhatsApp name that's been uh, dropped to the public. That's what that was. <laughs> no, do you know what that is? That's a pub quiz team name. <laughs> According to Variety magazine, the Black Panther movie is seen as a social turning point because it became the first billion-dollar blockbuster with a majority black cast following a script by a black writer and following a black director. Black Panther is the first movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to have its opening weekend domestic box office surpassed its production cost. It cost $200 million to make, and its Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday opening weekend domestic box office was $202 million. Wow. That's, that's, that's uh, yeah, it's a really impressive feat, isn't it? That is absolutely good the movie has a whopping 96 percent on rotten tomatoes based on 500 different movie reviews just to put that in perspective if i remember this right iron man the first iron man film which is regarded as possibly the best uh mcu film 94 percent if mm. i remember right yeah so the, this is a big deal here. iron man's regarded as the best mcu movie a lot of people do a lot of people That's love iron man yeah I know a lot of people love it, but I didn't know it was regarded as the best. Well, I, I, I've had a lot of conversations. Five, five oh, people. Five, five people, Rob. Five people I talk to. Uh, I'll tell you what I am noticing. <laughs> what are you noticing? The scores of all the... the on Rotten Tomato, mm. the, not the fresh rating, but the audience score yeah. on all Marvel movies mm. is going down... Um, They've all gone down within the last 18 months or two years. You think so? No, no, no. They, they definitely have. Oh. It, and it seems to be an influx of people signing up to write bad reviews of older Marvel movies. Uh, movies that, when they came out, where everyone went, this is an incredible movie, the score's really, really high. And now those are dropping down. There's just the, there is this weird, active kind of propaganda campaign to uh to, to have this this weird agenda against marvel but you know whatever sounds like uh, uh snyder bots to me it sounds kind of similar in that vein doesn't it yeah, yeah. he ruined the oh awful man anyway composer ludwig goronson traveled to south africa to it's, it's great I, I get the name wrong for a white guy this time <laughs> <laughs> how do you know he's a white guy just because his name's ludwig Oh, come on. That's definitely a Scandinavian name. Uh, it's, come on, there's an umlaut in there. Have you, <laughs> have you met a black guy with an umlaut in their name? No. Uh, Travelled to South Africa and visited the International Library of African Music in Grahamstown to listen to the musical archives. Thousands of different tribes in Africa. He also travelled to Senegal and South Africa to record local musicians to form the bass of the music so yeah there was a lot of lot of work done here finally and this is the part i really love the film black panther went on to win various awards including seven academy award nominations winning three for best costume design best original score and best production design it was also the first superhero film to receive a best picture nomination and the first mcu film to win several categories just to put that in perspective the first comic book superhero film in 40 years since the original superman in 1978 to be nominated for the academy award for best music original score in fact superman and black panther are the only two comic book superhero films to be nominated in this category, with the latter being the first to receive the award. 
Let's take a look what was happening in the world when this movie came out 2018. Can you cast your mind back? What was Will doing two years before the pandemic? Do you remember? Um, I was doing comedy. I just started a relationship. Oh yeah, I you just you just just kind of started with your with your lovely wife. Yeah, we we became official in December 2017. We'll signed the documents, got the badge. Then 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 she um, told the bu- sheriff. Then she buggered off back to Germany for a few weeks. Sounds about uh, right. That's what I do if I was in a relationship with you. Yeah, I'd that's... fly off to another country as well. And there was this familiar feeling of oh yeah, they do tend to run away. And then <laughs> and and I remember I think uh, soon after this we. Uh, rented our first place together, uh, Seven Sisters Road in Finsbury Park in London. Very busy place. Um, yeah, it was mostly just comedy and uh, getting a new job. That because I was in a job I did not like. But let's not go there. Well, okay. I I think I did four TV shows in one year. It was my first year getting any uh, material on television as a as a, as a comedy writer. Um, Two thousand and eighteen. I I. Wrote some material for Mot the Week, um, for The Apprentice, You're Fired, mm. uh, for Comedy Central Roast Battle. Um, oh, and yes. I did a. I, I, I can't say that one. I can't, don't think I can see the last one. Uh, okay. I was commissioned to write and did write and worked with. I did a comedy pilot for a big production company mm. um, with the intent of it being a series of pilots for a major channel in the mm. UK. But I, I'm fairly certain the thing I signed is still. I can't really say. I say it informally, but I can't say it on this. And that was really cool. <laughs> I got to go down to London and and that be on London. set and and watch this uh, this thing being made and everything. Never got aired, sadly. But that was a cool year for Rob. Um, in the rest of the world, the royal wedding, Harry and Meghan Markle got married. <laughs> uh, I remember that day. Elaborate ceremony, 600 guests, um, watched by over 30 million Americans, um, which is, I always find baffling Americans. I suppose mm. it's, a, it's an oddity, isn't it? It's, a, there's, it's an oddity, a fasc- to, it's an exotic oddity to the American. There's a fascination. But more importantly, mm. and not to bring the mood down, I just remembered something else that happened in 2018 in my life. In fact, the same day as the royal wedding. Oh, my granddad died. Oh dear, what a <laughs> shame. He was he was he was suffering sadly, and it was you know obviously happy that uh, he was uh, you know stop stop being in pain and stuff. But I remember that day. I, I when you said the royal wedding, Harry and Meghan went. Oh, I remember that day now. Yeah, that was a very odd day. <laughs> well, their wedding cost forty five million. How much did your granddad's funeral cost? Was it in that region? Uh, no, no, it wasn't. Oh. But we did have uh, people from the special forces. Attend the attend the uh, funeral. Oh, amazing! He he led an interesting life in the in the military. Let's put it that way. And to move on from uh, death, death. <laughs> uh, Beyonce became the first black female to headline the famous Coachella Music Festival in California, um, and this is one of the most amazing live concerts you'll see. Um, I've it's a, I think you can just Google it and watch the whole thing. I watched it um, the same year. And it is just, it's really something else. Um, there's a marching band. Ooh. Destiny's She reunites Destiny with Destiny's Child. Jay-Z comes out. Rihanna comes out. It's like nearly two hours long. It's it's really it's really something to see. As uh, If you're watching you know, live live festival concerts, it's it's one of the very best I've seen. Um, well, I've heard uh, good things about Coachella anyway. Apparently, it's the one to go to. I, I, I see. I, I think you might be, uh, I don't know. A lot of people now uh, tell me it's kind of it's kind of a basic thing now. 
now. It used to be, I don't know, who knows. Um, I, I'm out of touch, Kanye, mate. Yeah, Kanye visits Donald Trump at the White House. Do you remember oh. this happening? Kanye I, I remember. went to visit Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. And afterwards, he spoke to the press, and of the things he said that he talked to Donald about... He said the president should travel in an Apple-designed airplane known as iPlane One. And as ever with Kanye, you don't know if he's if was he joking. Is that a joke or? I think with the benefit of hindsight, we all know Rob. He was not joking. The man does not do jokes. The man. No, does... no, he does. He has a very dry. He has a very dry f with the public sense of humor. Does um, he? I yeah, thought that was yeah. just. I, I thought that was just a very long, uh, sustained breakdown. It. I, uh, column A, column B, if you ask me. Um, <laughs> as Will alluded to earlier, with the very first female um, to play, female mm. actor to play um, the Doctor on Doctor Who, or as everyone else reports it, the first female Doctor Who. It's not how it's said. Um, <laughs> Jodie Whittaker took over the role in 2018, um, and uh, she'd already made an appearance the year before, at the very end, as the transformation sequence. Mm. Um, but it was very, very cool. And the. Um, a debut episode was the highest rated debut for a new Doctor in 10 years, um, hitting 8.2 million viewers. Nice. Um, uh, we also had, it was the year of the Tide Pod Challenge. Oh, not this. Um, not this. It was a very peculiar viral thing that started on YouTube of, of weird people daring each other to eat toxic, dangerous laundry detergent for a laugh. Um, and people then did and filmed themselves and posted the videos and challenged other people to do it. Um, and uh, yeah, it went, it went, and it went viral. Um, I believe uh, Poison Control, <laughs> according to Vice, Poison Control received 86 calls regarding tide related poisonings in the first three weeks of that year. That's even more depressing than my granddad dying. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Granddad. But soundtrack. This I'd, I'd be honest with you. I'd like this episode to have less personal deaths in it, but who knows? <laughs> um, soundtrack to 2018. Um, the biggest selling uh, record of the year was Drake's "God's Plan," mm. um, which is one of what one I like. Normally, I can. Oh yeah, that one. I had to. I had to look this one up to go. Do I remember mm. this? And I'm kind of, but it hasn't even stayed with me. Um, it was kind of the year of Dua Lipa as well. She was out there with mm. uh, Calvin Harris and One Kiss. One kiss is all it takes. Falling in love with me. One kiss. There's that one. Um, I don't get it. You 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 act like an old man when I talk about memes and video games, but then you make me feel like an old man when we talk about pop music. What is it? Right, memes and video games are things you have to like go down dark web corner hole things and actively pursue to get into these are on the radio they're on television they're playing in shops in bars in restaurants like these this is the world it's white noise to me rob it's white noise to me memes are the only light in this world of white noise George George Ezra uh, with oh. shotgun as well with this one. How does that one? Because like, uh, has that weird voice? That's really long <laughs> voice. That one. Uh, I remember the greatest, that. The greatest showman went to the charts. Um, this is me. I don't do musicals. No, they're me neither. bad. All they're of ba- them. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, you, you sing a song to tell us how you feel. You know what's even better than that? Telling us how you feel through the medium of theatre. Bloody hell, I hate it. Plus, yeah. also, was that Hugh Jackman? Uh, uh, it says Settle. It says Settle. 
Uh, I don't know what that okay. means, though. Is that the mm. composer? Or, I don't know. Anyway, uh, the world of movies, um, Black hey. Panther was the top earning, grossing movie of um, 2018, uh, taking over $700 million in that first year. Oh, um, nice. Avengers Infinity War came in, lived in behind it, uh, $678 million in uh, 2018. Um mm. You want to give it a guess for the third? It's an animated movie. Uh, was it Inside Out? No, Incredibles two. Oh, I remember that. I was the third. Barely remember that actually. I barely uh, remember 608 that. Six hundred and eight plus yeah. million dollars. Um, the fourth is the only non-superhero movie in the top five. It's a fast it's and live furious action. Film. It's not the Fast and the Furious. No, one more guess. Big franchise. John, John Wick three. No, it's Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Oh, the I, uh, the Fallen I, Kingdom entry. It's it's got World. its that one has its good parts, but it does feel severe diminishing returns. And the one after, I've said it before, Jurassic World Dominion, one of the worst films I've ever seen. And rounding out the top five, Deadpool two over hey. three hundred eighteen million. Uh, two thousand eighteen is the most superhuman populous. Um, year in movies that we've ever looked at um as we discussed black panther avengers infinity war incredibles 2 deadpool 2 and then there's more ant-man mm. and the wasp it comes out the same year um takes over 216 million nice. venom out the same year takes over 213 million aquaman as you discussed end of the year so some of these coming out at the end of the year so don't take a lot in the actual yeah, calendar yeah, yeah. year of 2018 so aquaman comes out right at the end i think december something for the mums something, something for the mums there 199 and the <laughs> final one that comes out again in 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 the end of 2018 spider-man into the spider-verse i don't know if we've ever had a year so jam-packed with superhero movies and all right. of them so different yeah, indeed, indeed. I'm not sure where you count Incredibles up to. I must admit, that's a bit of a. That's well, it, I I would count it as a superhero movie, but not it's a like pastiche. In the, it's a past. Yeah, it's, it's it's a loving pastiche that doesn't give any credits to the things they're pastiching. Meanwhile, said. over at Marvel Comics in 2018, yes. they 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 kicked off after they had re. Uh, they had rebooted the universe with uh, something that happened, and then we got this kind of. Um, Soft reboot of the Marvel Universe. They called it Fresh Start. They do this every now and then. Mm. They want to give every comic book a new issue number one, reset the status quo, go in a new direction. And this kind of relaunch saw the return of um, classic characters to the classic identities that they had Mm. not been using for the last few years. So, um, Iron Man returned to the role of... Sorry, Tony Stark returned to the role of Iron Man, which he hadn't been in. He'd been in a coma since the end of the Second Civil War. Um, Riri Williams had been uh, going around as um, Ironheart, and um, there'd been a hologram version of him. Um, Sam Wilson dropped the identity of Captain America. Um, And uh, now Steve Rogers comes back in 2018. Logan... Uh, returns as Wolverine after Laura Kinney, the uh, the female clone of, of Logan, had been taking that mantle up. 
Jane Foster stops being Thor and Odin's son returns to the role. Bruce Banner returns as the Hulk um, after he died at the end of the Second Civil War. So it's this mm. return of, of things like that. We also get the Fantastic Four getting getting the band back together. They've broken up um, in a uh, storyline in 2015 and had been absent. They return in 2018. Um, Peter Parker and Mary Jane get back together. They have a relationship for the first time since their marriage is retcon out of existence in the one more day storyline um we also get a really interesting new take on the west coast avengers um with uh, bringing clint barton and kate bishop together along with america chavez quentin choir from the x-men and um oh, what's her name gwenpool gwenpool okay. we don't have time to discuss what the hell gwenpool is let's take a look behind the page now um, as we get ready to chart this historic movie about this historic character. The first thing that we need to do is we need to acknowledge that in the same, just in the same way that black people are historically portrayed in movies and TV shows um, and all of the books as well, all the forms of entertainment, mm. the portrayal of black people um, is just marred with prejudice racism stereotypes that have plagued the depictions of of black people since the very beginning of comic books or newspaper strips however the form began um especially portrayal portrayals of african people people from african as opposed to Afri- african americans they both have you know you would say equal amounts of um stereotypes and racial prejudice built into them but white writers seem to use africa um and people from Africa mm. as a great source of um, action adventure stories, as they had done in all mediums. Um, and we need to be aware of how we get towards something like Black Panther's debut in the 1960s as the very, mm, well, one of the first, the most prominent black superheroes, certainly mm. the first in a major mainstream comic book series. Um, prominent. African-American characters, one of the earliest is from a newspaper strip done by cartoonist Lee Falk. Lee Falk um, is uh, behind uh, an awful lot of really fondly remembered... So Mandrake the Magician. Mm. Do you remember... You, you might only remember it from the cartoon series, the Defenders of the... Defenders of the... Uh, Defenders. <laughs> that had the Phantom... Yep. And it had Flash Gordon, and yep. the other member of that group um, was Mandrake the Magician. Master of Magic Spells and Illusions. I never saw it, but I did, oh, see, wow. Robot, I did see Robot Chicken doing a take on it. Okay. So, Mandrake <laughs> the Magician, uh, newspaper strips, but it, we're, we're going to roughly just about before superhero, um, before comic books are, are knocking around, back when an awful lot of the action adventures um comic book stories are, are not comic books they are newspaper strips like popeye mm. and, and and things like that lee Falk's adventure strip mandrake the magician features this magician character with magic powers um and he has as a supporting character lothar um who is um portrayed as a former prince of the seven nations from africa um, mm. a federation of jungle tribes um mm. who passed on the chance to become king of those nations 
and instead follows Mandrake, who is white, if I if it wasn't clear, who follows Mandrake on his world travels fighting crime. Um, initially... He is uh, a very, tr- very, a very, very stereotyped trope character, the um, illiterate mute character, exotically mm. garbed in animal skins, provides the muscle um, for Mandrake's kind of uh, smarts and intelligence on their adventures. The mute, strong, exotic African um, was a, a, a big trope in action adventure stories mm. across the board, um, if they're white-written anyway, which they all were, um, and persisted for a long time after the 1930s. Um, and it is stated in one in one of in the 1935 strips, or a year after it comes out, Lothar is referred to as Mandrake's giant black slave. Um, mm. That's one of the most prominent um, of the 30s. Now, there's some language. I'm not going to say anything horrible here. Here we there, go. Come on, mate. Please for a minute. So there's some language that. Is was appropriate in the time, mm. and when we're talking about uh, some of these um, instances of historical events, mm. it is appropriate to use a word that I wouldn't refer to anyone by in jest or any other way going forward. <laughs> but much like if you look at the um, a significantly historical period of American baseball, you would be discussing the Negro League. Mm. Um, we're also going to talk now about um, a comic book that came out in the 1940s that was called All Negro Comics. Um, it came about in 1947, and a black journalist um, and a really incredible figure called Orrin Cromwell Evans, who worked for the Philadelphia Record at the time. He mm. was a general news writer, and he would write about all sorts of, of uh, issues that he could get in, including segregation and the armed services during World War II that he experienced. He would face death threats at the Philadelphia record, um, discrimination. Um, He was thrown out of a press conference, a Charles Lindenberg press conference, because he was a black man and they wouldn't allow any of those in, even if they were journalists. Um, And there were things that that Orrin Cromwell Evans wanted to write about, specifically racial inequality um, and speak to, that he just simply was not able to do in the all-white publication that he worked Mm. for. So Evans created his own space to use comic books as a medium for telling stories about the black experience. Mm. He teamed up with two former um, colleagues of his, Harry T. T. Saylor and Bill Driscoll, to found All Negro Comics in June of 1947. Um, They published their first issue, a 48-page book with colour cover, an anthology of different stories featuring a range of all-black characters – And everyone that worked on the comic was also black as well. So it's Mm. black-owned, black-created about black characters. Mm. And it included the world's very first black superhero, Lion Man. Lion Man? Lion Man. Um, Mm. There's an editorial that's important, I think, from the first and unfortunately only issue of all Negro comics. And it was written by Evans. It says, Dear readers, this is the first issue of all Negro comics, jam-packed with fast action, African adventure, good, clean humour and fantasy. Every brushstroke and pen line in the drawings on these pages are by Negro artists. This publication is another milestone in the splendid history of Negro journalism. Mm. All Negro comics will not only give Negro artists an opportunity gainfully to use their talents, but it will glorify Negro historical achievements. Lion Man, the first black superhero, appears on the front cover 
of the uh, very first and only issue. His garb resembles Tarzan, really, um, with a cloth kind of covering over his loins, and he boasts quite an interesting backstory. Um, he is a scientist whom the United Nations task with watching over Magic Mountain somewhere in Africa's Gold Coast region. The area has enough uranium for a deadly bomb, and therefore line man must report any suspicious activity to prevent people coming in, stealing uranium, and starting a deadly war. Mm. He does more than feed information. As Lion Man, he is full-on knocking people out in this comic, uh, beating up any white adversary that comes along to steal the uranium. Panels of a black hero putting white antagonists on their back clearly did not go over terribly well with a lot of the white general public. Um, I think we can probably draw some comparisons between... You know, Black Panther's mountain rich in vibranium, which is dangerous in the wrong hands and all the world wants it, oh, yeah. to what we see here in Lion Man, where there's a mountain full of uranium that all the world wants and he's the only powerful hero that can that can stop it. Um, as we could earlier with, with Lothar and Mandrake, the magician, where we see, you know, he's the prince of uh, this wonderful tribe. and So there's there's some things we should pick up, really, about that. Lyman was a bold gift to black readers during a deeply oppressive era. Um, mm. But this boldness from, from all Negro comics had unfortunately and devastating repercussions. Mm. Um, when Evans tried to publish a second issue, he encountered a series of barriers. Barriers that no company who is, trying, who is publishing would ever really experience. Mm. The number one barrier was that no one would sell him paper anymore. He could not buy <laughs> in paper to publish the comics on. No one would sell to him. It's, it's, it's long been... I mean, there's no official record of this, but it has long been speculated by comic historians that this sudden, complete interruption of the supply chain after the first issue goes out was the result of racist distributors allegedly mm. blocking Evans from purchasing the raw materials needed to make the second issue. And and after the success of the first issue of All Negro Comics, white publishers soon began to produce their own black comics, um, in inverted commas, where the white writers and artists could control the narrative of these black characters as they saw fit. There's no way to prove that this took place, really. Mm. Um, but considering the, 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 the racial equality at the time, it, it, it's it's pretty apparent, really, that that's when it went down. Yeah, um, it does feel like that. So that was the the beginning and swift end of the world's first black superhero, Lion Man, um, mm. which is a shame because it, 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 it really... It, it's 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 uh, a famous, and only infamous because of how it ended, but it is a very famous and well-thought-of um it, it was presented with a huge amount of pride um, and a huge amount of finally presenting this powerful black hero. We should also take a look at a comic book called Jungle Tales from the mm. 1950s. Jungle Tales was uh, published by Atlas Comics, which would go on to become Marvel Comics a decade later. It's an anthology series um, that would feature multiple different action-adventure stories set in 
different African jungles. Mm. And it exclusively featured white characters having their adventures in the African jungle, repeating <laughs> the tropes and ideas of Tarzan and yeah. the Phantom, as we mentioned before. Um, but in 1954, Jungle Tales presents its first black leading character, who mm. is therefore the first black leading character in Marvel's history, roughly speaking. A lot of the, um, those Atlas uh, characters and stories are folded into the Marvel Universe, and it's the same company. 1954, Jungle Tales presents Waku, Prince of Bantu. Um, Waku is the prince of the Bantu nation located in the hidden depths of South Africa. Waku's mm. father, the chief of the tribesmen, um, falls ill and chooses his son to succeed him. But before dying, he has Waku swear that he will not use violence to lead their people, but instead be a peaceful and gentle leader. Gotcha. To honour his father's last wishes, Waku swears an oath to do so. To prove his worth, however, Waku has to fight the strongest warrior of the tribe to take the throne. But due to the oath that he swears to his father, he doesn't fight with violence, and his rival takes the opportunity to defeat him and seize control of the tribe. This sounds very familiar to us, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and so, yes, there are comparisons that we can draw with the story of Black Panther, especially in this movie. Um, and we have to think about these tropes and traditions that are carrying on. Mm. But... Uh, we also need to think about... I mean, I don't know if we're conveying just how racist <laughs> this industry is. Um, <laughs> I don't imagine it's any more or less racist than any other uh, of the major entertainment industries and media industries of that time. Mm. Um, but our old friends at the Comic Book Code Authority are going to enter the story now, Will. Oh, no. In 1956. Now, um, for those of you not in the know, the Comic Code Authority as a regulatory body that came about in 1954 um, by the uh, the quickly, hastily knocked together Comics Magazine Association of America. Uh, what had happened was <laughs> the comic books, the comic industry in America was completely unregulated. There right. was no oversight by government whatsoever. And so you had um, terrifying and violent gangster and horror comics on a comic book shelf next to, like, Superman and Batman. <laughs> um, and any, all, all ages can access them and buy them and take them home. Mm. And so there was a big public uproar about this. There were Senate hearings. There were book burnings. People really went hard after the comic books in general. To save the industry from being um, either com you know, completely taken over by the government, a self-regulatory body was, was, was appointed. It brought about to regulate the depiction of violence, horror, sexual and adult themes in comic books mm. because they're readily available to all ages, right? Yeah. But in reality, the CCA, with no government oversight, could simply veto any depiction it did not approve of, even if that depiction did not break their rules mm. that they have written up. And whilst the comic book code was not like a legal requirement... Many, 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 many advertisers would not buy an advert and give their business to a comic book that didn't have the CCA stamp of approval. Mm. 
Gotcha. And many, many shops would not stock comic books that came from a company that did not have the stamp of approval. Does that basically make sense? That, that, that basically does make sense, yeah. In the 1950s, the portrayal of a black man in a position of authority was highly controversial, as was any discussion of racism or social politics around race. And this becomes a big problem when EC Comics, Entertainment Comics, wants to publish a story in a science, a science fiction story called Judgment Day. Ooh. The story depicts a human astronaut, a representative of the Galactic Republic, visiting a planet called... I forget what it's called. It's a planet full of robots, right? Okay. This person is walking around in the full spacesuit, the helmet, astronaut, finds the robot society divided into functionally identical orange and blue races, one of which has fewer rights and privileges than the other for no discernible reason. Gotcha. The astronaut decides that due to the robot's bigotry, the Galactic Republic should not admit the planet into their wonderful collection of races and cultures. And in the final panel in 1956, the astronaut removes his helmet revealing himself to be a black man. Ah, I think I've read about this one online somewhere. The CCA refused to approve this story because, and I am quoting, the central character being black. That's the entire reason. There was no depiction of violence, no depiction of horror, the supernatural, no depiction of sexual or adult themes. It was simply a black lead character. The twist of which makes the whole story work. Yeah, absolutely. The Comic Book Code Authority administrator was a chap called Judge Charles Murphy. Judge Mm. isn't his first name. Judge is, he was a judge. Um, Mm. He objected to the story because the central character was black. Murphy insisted that the main character be redrawn so that he was white. Which EC Comics pointed out would remove the entire point and basis of of the story the story would not have an ending if the character that discovers this odd robot racism takes the helmet off and they're a white guy there's no ending to that story Mm. ec comics refuses to do so and a big argument breaks out between the comic code authority and ec comics the editor of ec comics at the time was called william gaines and he threatened to call a press conference and expose the racism and hypocrisy of the cca Judge Murphy would not bunch. Uh, Gaines later then threatened to sue the CCA and independently sued Judge Murphy on the basis that nothing that EC Comics had done had broken the rules that the CCA, the guidelines they'd set up, and said, you all have to abide by these guidelines or we won't approve you. And he said, there's nothing in your rules about there not being any black lead characters and there's nothing in this comic that you should object to based on those rules. <laughs> eventually, eventually, this got Judge Murphy to relent. But not before he offered a compromise. Okay. Judge Murphy said he'd allow the main character to be portrayed as black, but insisted that the beads of sweat be removed from the artwork of his face, as he uh, believed uh. that showing a black man sweating was unseemly. <laughs> EC Comics held fast, and in the end, they won their argument, and the story was printed with zero changes. But it is a powerful example 
of the depiction of black characters in comic books in the 1950s. Just 10 years removed from when the Black Panther is going to make his first debut. Amazing. Now, one of the comic book companies that operated without the CCA's stamp of approval was an outfit called Dell Comics. And Dell published the very first comic book headlined by a black leading character, a black star, whose name was the title of the comic and whose picture is printed on the front cover. Um, It was called Lobo, an action-adventure comic that chronicled the Old West adventures of a wealthy Mm. African-American gunslinger called Lobo. Um, And... uh, he was kind of like a um, Lone Ranger Zorro figure. Um, he would, uh, you know, vanquish the criminals and leave a calling card, a gold coin on their forehead. And the gold coin had the image of a wolf and the letter L on it. Um, kind of a cool, you know, you know the Lone cool. Ranger Zorro thing. I always thought was fun. The co-creator, writer and editor of it, called Don DJ Arneson, explained that Lobo only lasted one issue. He said, they discovered that as they were sending out bundles of comics out to the distributors, when he says distributors, he means the shops, they were being returned unopened. And I couldn't figure out why. So they sniffed around, scouted around, and discovered that many sellers were opposed to Lobo, who was the first black hero. That was the end of the book. It sold virtually nothing. They printed 200,000 copies, which was about the going print rate at the time, and they sold maybe 10 or 15,000. So this wow. objection from the regulatory body, distributors sending back copies and refusing to sell them because the star is black, Lion Man and all Negro comics being stopped after the first issue because... The supply chain refused to sell them paper to print the character on. This should all inform where the world is at with black characters as we talk about the creation of the Black Panther, who was created in 1966 by Stanley and Jack Kirby. Although, as ever with old comics, there is a huge dispute whether who actually really came up with it and who really did this, that, and the other. I'm not going to get into that. No, um, no, there's no end to it. Absolutely no end. There are some people that support Stanley, some people that support Jack <laughs> Kirby. Who knows? The Black Panther's name does predate the founding of the Black Panther Party in October of 1966. Although it does not predate the Black Panther logo of the party's predecessor, the Lones County Freedom Organization. Although they weren't called the Black Panthers, they use the Black Panther as their logo, their symbol. And it also does not predate quite a famous segregated World War II um, tank battalion who the, the, the uh, 761st were called the Black Panthers Tank Battalion. Mm. Stanley, when talked about this, said he kind of denied that the comic, which predates any of you know, the, the, the political Black Panther term, could have been named after either the Tank Battalion or the LCFO. He says mm. it's a strange coincidence. Um, the original sketch work for, uh, for the character shows that T'Challa was originally going to be, not be called the Black Panther, right. but was going to be called the Coal Tiger. Before, the Coal Tiger? The Coal Tiger, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Before eventually Marvel, Stan, Jack, whoever settled on the Black Panther, which has a much better name to it. Hmm. Um, Stanley sort of then recounted years later 
that the name was actually apparently according to Stanley, who I've said many times before, is a marketer and a carnal carnival barker before he is a truth teller. <laughs> he recounted that the name was inspired by a pulp adventure hero that he can't remember who had a black panther, an actual creature, mm. as a helper. Maybe maybe that's the story. Um Black Panther does not first appear in his own comic book series. He um he does appear Oh wait, sorry, before we get to that, oh. speaking of the Black Panther name, in yeah. in in 1972, the Black Panther stopped being the Black Panther. To avoid connotations with the Black Panther party, he changed his name to the Black Leopard. Um, okay. But the new name uh, didn't last very long. Mm. Uh, later this uh, the same year i think yeah later the same year or the year yeah not very long later um in an issue of avengers t'challa explains that renaming himself made no sense and he yeah. basically says to the scott to like would the scarlet witch alter her name to distance herself from witches i don't think so <laughs> um and so yeah that, that the name doesn't prove to be too much of a problem but it still must have been there's a lot about this that must have worried marvel comics the people in charge of Marvel clearly got second thoughts when introducing such a prominent black character. The mm. original artwork for the Black Panther, when he's the coal tiger, he mm. does not have a mask. He is a he is a visibly black man with no mask, nothing covering his face. Mm. So T'Challa's costume completely exposed his face and his black identity to the whole world. He was then redesigned as the Black Panther, and a lot about the costume has changed. He now had a mask, mm. but he had, um, like, it was an open mouth mask, a bit like Captain America's, right? Uh, Captain America's, yeah, yeah. you say, is an open mouth mask. Now, his actually had the jaws of a tiger around his own mouth, which is a very cool look. That is so cool. But what it shows is that mm. Black Panther's skin, T'Challa's skin, was black. Mm. It displayed this was a black man behind the behind the mask and in the role, and that preview artwork exists and is out there in in in, in some copies. But sometime before the preview artwork and the actual publication death day, Marvel got such cold feet about having a prominent black character that the whole mask of the Black Panther is redesigned to completely hide and obscure his features. His skin clodder. Maybe, I think after we think about this history we've been going on, maybe Marvel were thinking about Lion Man getting forced out of publishing in the 40s. Maybe they're thinking about retailers refusing to sell copies of Lobo. And maybe they're thinking about the CCA objecting to having a black man as the lead character just 10 years before. Maybe they thought of all of that and decided to cover up Black Panther's face uh, when before they put it on front covers of his first appearance, that would make I sense. think it's quite clear and quite apparent that a lot of the Black Panther character is based on already existing ideas and tropes from the depiction of African characters, as we've discussed: Lion yeah. Man, Lothar, and the action adventure genre. The idea of African royalty that becomes a crime-fighting adventurer, we've already talked about being present. The idea of an African leader having to protect a powerful and unique mineral source from the outside world, we've already talked about. Mm. An, an African prince who has his throne stolen away from him by trickery due to like a battle royal for the throne, we've already talked about. What really stands out, though, 
in the original initial presentation of the character is the fresh and bold and innovative depiction of T'Challa as the leader of this super advanced hidden nation that the the concept that Wakanda is secretly the most powerful and wealthy country on earth packed with high-tech sci-fi technology and flying cars and supercomputers that had never been shown or portrayed before in any form of media um so the character T'Challa doesn't debut as the the leading character in his own comic, as a few heroes do, but it wasn't unusual. He deb- he debuts as a supporting character, initially an antagonist, in the Fantastic Four. He has two issues, issue 52 and 53, in, in um, the summer of 1966, and he becomes a, a, a returning and recurring Fantastic Four character. Just two years later, in 1968... Stanley has the Black Panther leave Wakanda and become the latest member of the Avengers. Mm. That was a massive, massive moment for T'Challa. Yeah. To become so much more prominent. He goes from being an occasional guest star in the Fantastic Four to one of the leading characters in the leading comic they present, standing shoulder to shoulder with Captain America and Thor and Iron Man. Um, and he's a part of that comic into the 1970s. T'Challa wouldn't receive his first starring feature until 1973. Marvel took that old comic they had, Jungle Action, mm. um, which featured lots of many jungle stories, and someone decided to point out, you know what, all we do is print in Jungle Action is print stories about white people in the jungle. <laughs> the 70s is the era of a lot more black representation in action adventure mm-hmm. movies um and so it's probably a cynical marketing idea I, rather than it is some you know wonderful wouldn't it be great idea but you know marvel decide to make the black panther the star of jungle action and it becomes mm-hmm. jungle action starring the black panther the new series um, began running, written by a, a writer called Don McGregor, with pencils by some really great artists over the years, including Gil Kane and Billy Graham. But Don McGregor is a very important figure in the history of Black Panther because that series of jungle action with the Black Panther it became critically acclaimed. Mm. Um, he. He pioneered, McGregor on Jungle Action pioneered the self-contained multi-issue story arc in comic Mm. books. So whilst Spider-Man comics in the 70s and Mm. and the 60s, it's this kind of soap opera that keeps going on. Mm. And some things are a two-parter and might lead into the next issue. Don McGregor on Black Panther invented what dominates Marvel Comics and DC Comics today. The idea that you have a story arc that is like 10 issues long. And whilst yeah. and that 10 issues is the story. Mm. Um, it's not this ongoing two-parter and then another two-parter, then a one-parter. It's a and in this was it was thir- it was called Panther's Rage. And it was 13 issues long. And it has been called, that story arc has been offhandedly referred to as Marvel's first graphic novel. Because if you collect it together and publish it, which they have done, it reads like a one-story graphic novel. Gotcha, yeah. Rather than, this week, Black Panther fights this guy. Next week, someone (laughs) else. And 
it's um a really a really special and important series um and uh, panthers panthers rage is the first to do that and he follows up panthers rage with a, a second story arc um called panther versus the clan um Ooh. in which the black panther does tackle the klu klux klan amazing highly controversial um even in the 1970s um, and create a lot of difficulties for the team it's worth noting though um as we look at this movie that is black written and black directed that the black panther as a character was not written by a black person until 1998 a full 32 years after his creation Black, uh, T'Challa had been a bit player and a and a C-list character after the, the that that seventies series came to an end for decades, and then in nineteen ninety eight, which this is also an indictment of Marvel. Marvel's <laughs> Marvel's first ever full time black writer didn't arrive until nineteen ninety eight. Wow! And this is a guy. It's a very very overwhelmingly white medium. This mm. writer is called Christopher Priest. He is hugely important to this movie. He is hugely important to the Black Panther. He began a seminal run under Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti on the Marvel Knights banner that redefined the Black Panther character, that made him cool, badass for the like the first time since the seventies, and inspired so much of this film. It is a mega blockbuster of an episode, so will we need a mega blockbuster of a mailbag? Oh God, and what 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 a mailbag we have for you today. Massive it is. First off, Mr. Mike Lord said Black Panther is hands down my favourite MCU origin movie and one of the very best solo movies in the entire canon. I adore it. Even the slightly ropey CGI rhinos in Act 3. After his scene-stealing appearance in Civil War, even eclipsing Tom Holland's Spider-Man to become the best new character in the movie, it was pretty obvious Chadwick Boseman had more than enough star quality and acting power to carry his own movie, but I never dreamed it would be this good. The world building is fantastic. Wakanda genuinely feels like the advanced African civilization we know from the comics. And kudos to director Ryan Coogler for attracting some top acting talent to play supporting roles. Lupita Nyong'o, Danai Aguera, Sterling K. Brown from my favorite TV show This Is Us, Winston Duke, Daniel Kaluuya, and the legends that are Forrest Whitaker and Angela Bassett. They all help make Wakanda the realistic, believable society it is. And then there's Letitia Wright, the breakout star of the movie. In lesser hands, Shuri could have been irritating, a grating bossy know-it-all. But she endears the character with so much charm and spunk, she quickly becomes endearing and has some of the funniest lines in the movie. My the sto- lord, I might have to. You might have to get on the podcast. That's just yeah, man. You killing it. You're absolutely He's, right. Abs- L- L- Letitia Wright really is the breakout star of this. Um, made me so excited to see more of her in the sequel. Yeah. And everything. Um, yeah, and it's not. It's a, it's a tightrope that character. It, re- it reminds me. Uh, I recently went through the TV show Top Boy, and uh, Letitia Wright's uh, eighteen in that playing yeah, a very young yeah, yeah. role. And you could you could see it there. She's already got the talent. She's very very confident and a good performer. 
The story is an exciting, engaging, globe-trotting spy adventure with some superb stage action set pieces and two memorable villains in Andy Serkis's Claw and especially Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger. I admit, I've not read... I don't know if there's a typo. I've not ready, read many uh, Black Panther solo stories being more familiar with his appearances alongside the Fantastic Four and as an Avenger, so I didn't realise the significance of the Killmonger name, assuming Ulysses Claw, T'Challa's oldest adversary, to be the main bad guy. So when Claw was killed off halfway through, I was genuinely shocked, but it proved to be the perfect choice. Killmonger is such a well-rounded villain, and like Zemo in Civil War, he's one you can empathise with, understand, and respect his point of view. This is pretty much the perfect superhero movie, and Chadwick was the perfect embodiment of T'Challa, carrying himself with a regal nobility. He was rightly irreplaceable, rightly irreplaceable and his absence in not just Wakanda Forever, but in the MCU going forward, is keenly felt. May he rest in peace. Thank you for writing in, Mike. Who's Very next? Good. We got Robbie Fox, who said, "I thought the villain Killmonger was complex, three-dimensional, and intimidating. The setting felt fresh and new as far as Hollywood blockbusters go, but otherwise, it was fair. It was standard, overly CG, predictable story, and decent entertainment. Bozeman was good, but not my highlight. I also thought it was weird that such an advanced culture still determined their leader by fighting with spears." What do you what do you people want? What do you want from us? What what <laughs> So you want a superhero movie without CGI? Is that what we're hearing? <laughs> you want a, you want a movie about an advanced alien looking city that doesn't use CGI. Mm. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Crack on with it. <laughs> you know, one day know, so, someone's, someone's going to do it with practical effects and change everything and go, oh, actually, we can do it that way. But we're yet to see it. We've yet to see it. Next up, we've got Henry Ginsburg. I will also said, see about that. Come on. Get it out. Let's just let her. I'll did, stop the mailbox section. Let's just let it out, Rob. Let it out. Okay. The only people that notice and care about CGI are gamers. No one else <laughs> cares. <laughs> You people spend all that time when a, when a new game's coming out talking about the graphics, the graphics, and the graphics better than the last graphics. These graphics aren't better than the last graphics. There's only a marginal increase in the graphics from the last graphics. You're the only people that oh. care about it. The rest of us are watching a movie, for God's sake. Graphic-obsessed gamers are killing reviews and enjoyments. And on top of that, I don't think anyone walks out of these movies on the big screen worrying about the CGI. They don't look good on laptops. They don't look good on Twitter. They don't look good on your iPhone. They look good in the cinema. You're, I'll tell you what, whenever but you come out with some you, of Robbie, these... Thank you, Robbie. I do love you. <laughs> he's a ru- lovely guy. Um, uh, as much as much as I like listening to your rants and saying, ah, you're generalising a bit there, or you're just having a joke there, though you're absolutely, you're absolutely I know right. I'm absolutely you, right. You, you're, you're cutting to the core there, because it's a big gamer myself. I go, yeah, I do notice CGI, because I'm a big gamer. In fact, the film Avatar... You're the one that used to talk to me about the polygons in this... I don't think the polygons are right in this movie. What are you talking about? I forget which movie that was, but I was talking about. I think it was a low polygon count. I know. Oh if you my ever God. see, if you ever see a wireframe model of a 3D image back in the old days, you know what I'm on about. Anyway, uh, when I'm, I remember seeing Avatar and thinking the whole way through, I mean, people thought it was amazing. But my theory is, you, people who find Avatar amazing are people who never play video games. To me, that was one long video game cutscene I couldn't skip or play. It just felt like that to me. And you know what? You're right. It, it, it there's this point with CGI in films and video games where they they they've met 
they've pretty much met now. Mm. They look the same depending on what game you play, depending on what movie you see. So there is this kind of feeling of, oh, it just looks like I'm playing a game, but I'm not actually playing a game. I get that, but you need to step back if you're thinking that and go, wait a minute, I'm watching a film here. Yeah. I need to sit differently. None of these people yeah. are the characters they're pretending to be. Oh, none of this that you're seeing is real. You have to go with it. <laughs> That's the secret to enjoying any movie, TV show, or theatrical production. You, you have, have to, to pretend it's real. You have to, okay, not to go, not to egg this on, but I think, I don't know if you said it the other day or if I said it or something. No, my, my wife sent me a tweet saying this. It's like, and I responded with, 90% of films aren't bad. You just need to adjust expectations from what you want. Even some dumb action movies are brilliant because you have to change what you expect out of it. You're not going to expect Shakespeare well, I, from an Arnie film. I, I, I agree. Uh, I think it's a slightly different conversation, but yes, you're right. You're right. And some films are genuinely bloody awful, like Jurassic World Dominion. Anyway, anyway, Henry Ginsburg said... It's one of the only three Marvel movies I've seen, the other being the two Guardians of the Galaxy films, which I enjoyed a lot. Wouldn't have gone to see it, but for the fact I was dating a girl who was a big Marvel fan, so I went in with little to no knowledge of the MCU. Had to have a few things explained to me along the way. Thought it was a really good blockbuster. Some of the overly CGI-based action scenes lost me a bit, but I really enjoyed Boseman's performance and found the comic relief bits genuinely funny. Plus, I thought it had genuinely interesting, uh, relatively subversive themes about colonialism, and I found Killmonger to be a really involving villain who you find yourself sympathising with for large parts of the narrative. Thank you, Henry. I didn't sympathise him for a second. <laughs> That's just me. That's not yeah. true. I mean, he has, he has some points, but... He's, uh, yeah, he, he, he's, he he's, he's not like, like Magneto. You want to slap him the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. Patrick Casey. I don't sympathise with Magneto either. Well, so All you uh, people, uh, here's the problem with modern it, people. As we slide towards fascism, <laughs> audiences love power <laughs> more than goodness, and it becomes evident throughout... You'll have a character who like does a whole bunch of evil stuff in a powerful way and has a glimmer of a reason. People go, yeah, but he had a reason for doing all them murders, didn't he? <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, if, you, if you want to, yeah. I don't want to be cut up by you in traffic. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's uh, sliding a bit that way. It's a bit worrying. It's, it's, uh, the problem is oversimplifying. Anyway, anyway. Patrick Casey said, I enjoyed it up until the end. We once again had two CGI characters beating each other up for a variety of areas. I felt the film deserved. I, 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 I'm sorry, Patrick. I don't think that comes across at all. I felt the film deserved better than the usual Marvel version of a Tekken multi-stage brawl. In a lot of other Marvel films, it doesn't bother me so much. Black Panther was so enjoyable and felt different to me that having it boiled down to the animation department felt like a disservice to what preceded preceded it. I don't know. I, okay. I, my, my, I'll mention it later, but yeah, the, the final fight felt like it was very quick, uh, you know, simple thing, but I think it was overshadowed by what was happening elsewhere. There was a lot going on around the fight, I felt, but that's, we will talk about that. We get to the film. Juzi said, I remember watching Black Panther sometime after hearing the news of Chadwick Boseman passing and mid movie, I was struck with the realization that he would have been a hard act to follow, a wonderful actor. 
The movie itself is one of the best solo movies in the MCU with a star cast. And while the plot some. Uh, somehow it's nothing we have not seen already there weren't big surprises a la Winter Soldier the performances and the world building are beautifully believable definitely worth a rewatch thank you Juicy <coughs> Cody 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 oh. Oh. gonna see if I can get that to sync perfectly in the edit suite <laughs> Cody said I really liked Black Panther it was cool to see the character fleshed out on the screen Chadwick does a great job the only drawback for me is the end fight between Panther and Killmonger the CGI isn't great normally I really don't care about that much CGI I can either roll with it because I know it's not real or, or just so bad it's funny but it was just off other than that the movie was great strong acting performances from everyone well because Cody said it maybe I'll uh, rewatch it and reevaluate my position well, well, yeah, of course, of course, because Cody's Co- a lovely Cody chap. Cody knows what he's talking about. Co- Co- Cody's very nice, but at the same time, I was going to go, it seems that a pattern is forming, Rob. It does. <laughs> yeah. maybe, I, maybe I have to re-watch it, I don't know. But re-watching it, I'd be re-watching it on my telly. These movies aren't designed to be watched on TV. They, especially for sound reasons. I have to say, though, it's like, I'm very forgiving when it comes to Marvel films. I don't usually, uh, you know, if, if, if CGI's a little bit off, I'll just go, eh, can't, can't be perfect, that's fine. You know, I have fun. Anyway, we finally come to our last letter from King Canuck. Says, hey guys, before Black Panther felt... But sorry, Black Panther felt really fresh after Civil War. You just inserted a word at the start that is not there. Now... <laughs> you inserted the word before. <laughs> uh, before I carry on with this, is I, I, I don't know if it's a thing, but is, is now the, the time to tell people about my personal news? If you want, yeah. If you want, yeah. Uh, uh, earlier this week, at time of recording, uh, I got diagnosed with ADHD. And I think I have a really weird way of auto-correcting words and uh, sentences in my head. I don't know if that's a symptom. I'll look it up. But I thought, you know, I'm going to announce it at some point. You know, it's, what, it's what life-changing. Pro- what probably helps is you having a job that involves you reading pages and pages whilst I occasionally make fun of you. <laughs> <laughs> for uh, autocorrect mistakes I bet that really helps doesn't it <laughs> it's, 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 I think it's my brain wandering and going ah this needs more words anyway <laughs> that I somehow in, it do, did that I don't know what happened there anyway that's that's a bit about me back to King Canuck Black Panther felt really fresh after Civil War. I'm not sure I know I knew a ton about him beforehand but I knew the general shape that he was the king of a super advanced African nation with isolationist attitudes but I think that's about it Seeing him in Civil War, it felt like a sudden expansion of the world and of the idea that superheroes might be out there in the world, just outside of our knowledge, and with his uh, revenge quest over, it's interesting to see him go home and deal with the consequences of what his father did so soon after his death. I think what sets T'Challa apart is his attitude. Around his t- this time, you might argue that a lot of the MCU protagonists were comfortably working with the quippy, bantering humour that Robert Downey Jr. has made a signature. Not T'Challa, however. That's a great point. That is He's a very, great point. Very, very good point. He says He's, He's serious, breaking the mould, isn't he? Bring him up. He's serious but kind and not humorless, but really feels... But so it really does feel like a member of royalty rather than a playboy millionaire, a roguish space thief, or a god of thunder. I miss Chadwick Boseman. I think certainly um, once once they just slid Thor into quippy silly guy, <laughs> the well, only so, so, person you had left that wasn't was mm. Cap. 
was was was, was Cap, yeah. Captain America. I always um, love what you said. What was the what was the thing when you said looking at Ragnarok? You said I, I you would have preferred it if there was a little title at the beginning that said in <laughs> was it in between adventures. In, Thor, before this movie began, Thor got bonked on their head, and he's now woken up a very silly goose. <laughs> he's a big silly goose. <laughs> just, just that's it. That's all I need. Like, all okay. Anyway, uh, last bit of the letter. Also, Killmonger is a standout villain here. I'm not sure how enduring he is in the comics, but his impact on the MCU Black Panther's world in this film, what if, and to some extent, the sequel cannot be understated. A bit disappointed the MCU can't seem to stop killing villains. This goes for Claw as well. Thank you, King Canuck. Yeah, killing villains, well, it's because, unlike comic books, movies have to have an ending. Yeah. And you have to give the audience a resolution and closure, generally speaking. Whereas comic books, man, it used to be in the old Superman comics, no writer would know what the other writers were going to do. So you'd just have a character fall you know, off a, off a bridge and Superman would go, I expect that's not the last we've seen of him because they didn't have any idea. And that kind yeah. of persists throughout the history of recurring Villains. Yeah. Um, speaking of recurring villains, no, that doesn't work. Um, <laughs> we've got to give a big shout out to some very special people. Um, well, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. And they're the top of the tree for us, aren't they? Mm, the tippy top. The tippy top. They're our favourite boys and girls. Um, they make sure this all happens. Peter J., Brandon Spigilski, Randall Schmidt. Zach Thomas, Bastabeer, Sam, Bindi, Soupy, and Big Boy Billy Brown. Um, they're all <laughs> our very top subscribers on Patreon. And those are the people that keep things uh, clicking and ticking around here. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. That's how you keep the show on the air. Someone's got to do it. Someone's yeah. got to keep the show on the air. You've got to stick those... Uh, Dollar dollar bills in our tip jar and say, I'd like more of this, please. Because if the money stops coming, we might have to go do something else. Go start a podcast about Supernatural, the terrible television program on CW <laughs> Network. Um, Max Painter wanted to let us know that he's finally done the right thing. Yes. I started to write you guys an apology. Mia culpa, he says. Mm, oh, Latin I, are I we found did. your <laughs> podcast last year and have been devouring every episode. Good listening boy. to your old episodes in your archives, playing MVM every chance I get. But I still haven't been doing the right thing. So I sat down to write you an email apologizing when I realised that isn't good enough. So now I don't need to apologise <laughs> because <laughs> I'm a fully signed up member of the Patreon and I'm supporting you with cold, hard cash. Um, shout out to Max Painter for joining us and knowing what needs to be done and realising apologies aren't good enough for us, are they, Will? Do we want apologies, Will? I, uh, I wouldn't mind some apologies. But what would you prefer over an apology? I would prefer people to do the right thing. Money, money. Put money in his pocket. Money, money, you money. You don't understand. Will loves money. I am a about. terrible person. I'm a terrible man. I just love money. Sam Denton doesn't want us to go anywhere. 
doesn't we won't go anywhere will we well it depends oh, it depends <laughs> oh does it depend does it, it does now? cash has got to be in the coffers um mm. he says last week i've been last week i binged iron man remastered as a two-parter kang trilogy it's a two-parter and daredevil it's a big two-parter mm. i just love what you guys do and i figured after nearly 10 hours of marvel history i owed you both a drink so I signed up to the Patreon. Hooray. Have this one on me. Thank you, Sam Denton. Sam Denton, uh, uh, sewing the three things we like. Apologies, cash, and drinks. I don't think he apologised. You're thinking of Max Painter, the one above. Well, he finished off the trilogy that okay. Max Painter started. Uh, and then, <laughs> uh, as, as ever with, Patre- with Patreon, we tend to get normal people's names, like Josh <laughs> W. Inside of, and then there's the final one, Old Leatherface. Uh, old Leatherface. Old Leatherface says, Kang Dynasty blew me away. I, that's our latest bonus episode. Um, I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't that. Hearing the deep dive into Kang and how he plans his wars and his tactics, the time travel, the betrayals, nothing will be better. Sorry, inc- it was all incredible. Nothing will be better than Giant Cap fighting Giant Kang in space. <laughs> um and we, I mean, Old Leatherface is talking about the Feb episode of our bonus show over on Patreon.com slash Marvel vs. Marvel. Will, it was the Kang Dynasty. Oh. I'd like to talk to you about that episode. Now, I don't want to sound like a big old broken record. No, not, no, no, sir. Willie Boy does not want to sound like a big old broken record. But every time we do one of these big arcs on the bonus episode on Patreon, boy, I am just angry you don't let me read marvel comics because there this is just so incredible it's this one was especially good because i think one key thing about it as as big as it was you know to go through it with you we're we're going to be seeing a kang dynasty film yeah in the future we don't know what it's going to be like we want we know it's going to be the uh, this sagas if you will uh infinity war now, Infinity War, as we all know, and we will be covering soon, has a very, very harrowing ending. Kang Dynasty, in in what we covered, has what I'd like to think of a cliffhanger that really took me by surprise. And if they do that cliffhanger that we discussed in that bonus episode in the film, I think it just might be Infinity War for sheer harrowingness. It's a it's a massive epic story. Mm. It's packed. Uh, it's stacked. It's up there on Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. This month we're bringing you another big one. This month it is Wakanda Doom War. Maybe the biggest Black Panther story of Ooh. all time. The politics of the Marvel Universe being upended. Doctor Doom invades the nation of Wakanda with his legion of armies. It's going to take more than one Black Panther to fight him off. It's a huge story featuring the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. Will is very excited for that. You don't want to miss this this one. You don't want to miss March on our Patreon. If you sign up at that bonus tier, that bonus episode tier, you'll get access to over 30 full-length bonus episodes Kang mm. Dynasty, the Thanos Imperative, Maximum Carnage, Marvel Zombies, Young Avengers, Spider Verse, 
Civil War, Justice League versus the Avengers. It's all there for just £10 for the month. Or just drop just drop us £10 once and see how many you can get through. We dare you. you got 30 days. <laughs> the clock is ticking. See how much you can get. Um, and at other tiers as well, look, we, we, we give away um, the uh, Obscure Marvel show to each and every person that supports us on Patreon, um, where me and Will dig through the most ridiculous and obscure characters and stories in the annals of Marvel history this month, uh, last month, this month, this month, yeah, it was Jack Frost. Um, <laughs> oh, no! <the> no! <laughs> no, stop it, stop and, it. Let's and Iron Man's roller this. skates. No. <laughs> I think that's the one where I just said, that's it, I give up. You give I, up, I yeah. You, you, I, Will, I don't want to do the I don't Will want to tends do the to quit in the middle of every uh, Obscure Marvel episode. Um, <laughs> Obscure Marvel, there every month for everyone that supports us. It costs the same as a cup of coffee every month. I mean, you wouldn't even notice it out your wallet. Um, there's also early, early access is available and lots of other perks the higher up the tiers that you go. That is patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Over 30 full-length bonus episodes, over 25 mini-shows, early access to every show, and you make sure we keep making this great podcast for you all and that we don't have to disappear and go dark and go get real jobs. Coming up after the break, our signature deep dive into The Black Panther. 